0: Shabbat shalom. We're going to go about five minutes extra today in our sermon time, uh, but we're running a little bit behind, and so we'll catch up. I have a four-part series, maybe even longer than that, on our vision. We finished up with mission last week, and we're going to step into our vision. What is the vision of the harvest? I've entitled this, A Community's Vision, Part 1, right? So... A mission clarifies why we exist while a vision reveals where it wants to go. Our mission is to help people encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Our vision, our vision, where we want to be in the future. Slide man, put up our vision. Next slide, please. There we go. Our vision is by the grace of god of course to birth and establish messianic congregations where jewish and gentile believers can unite worship fellowship grow and share our mission within the world we live there's a lot to unpack here that's pretty short pretty concise but there's a lot in there and so we're going to begin to unpack that over the next couple weeks so we can better understand what we're supposed to be doing so that we can join together in our gifting, in our work, our service to move into our vision in the months and years ahead. We're excited about this. So let's start with the first part of this vision, birthing and establishing Messianic congregations or churches. Now the term Messianic, let's deal with that first. The term Messianic, this comes from the Hebrew word, Mashiach, or the English transliteration, Messiah, Messiah. That's simply what it means. Messianic means to be of Messiah or to be in Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and we who believe in him are of him and in him. Therefore, we are what? Messianic just simply means of Messiah. It's the Hebrew way of saying, I'm a Christian, if you will. Christ-like, right? That's the Greek version into English. So Jewish believers and Gentile believers. A Messianic Jew is a Jew who believes in Jesus. It's a Jew who is in Jesus. By faith is of Jesus. So we refer to a Jew who believes as a Messianic Jew. A Messianic Gentile is a Gentile believer a Gentile who believes in Jesus. He's of Messiah. So we would say he is a Messianic Gentile. Now together, Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles are one in Messiah. In fact, the Paul, the Apostle Paul, in uh, his letter to the Ephesians, he says that Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles are one new man. And, and if you look at the Greek, it allows for this idea of, Of a born-again humanity that messianic jews and messianic gentiles comprise a new humanity if you will a spiritual humanity a humanity that's born from above through faith in jesus so that being stated a messianic congregation or church is a group of messianic jews and messianic gentiles that unite and commit to meet together at the appointed times as a local expression of the ecclesia or church of Jesus. Does that make sense? Messianic Jews, Messianic Gentiles gathering together at the appointed times becomes a local manifestation of the body of Christ. Christ becomes a a local manifestation, if you will, of the church, the congregation of the Lord. That's the definition, basically, of a Messianic congregation. So where and when did this congregation of the Lord begin? When and where did the church emerge? And of course, the answer for most Christians is, well, at Pentecost, right? That's the answer. That's when the church was born acts chapter two pentecost we'd say yes and no yes pentecost but the wrong pentecost there was an earlier pentecost the first pentecost some 1500 years earlier and that's where the church began now now you're not going to hear that in most places ecclesiology the study of the church or the congregation of the lord is, is uh, an area of systematic theology that really didn't even come into being until, you know, the Reformers, and then even later being refined. And so it's it's still being bantered around and debated, hotly debated, uh, within seminars today. But let's take a look at this. I think this perspective, which is a Messianic perspective, is very helpful and brings a tremendous amount of unity between Jews And Gentiles who believe in Jesus. So where and when did the ecclesia, the church, the congregation of the Lord begin? Let's go back to Acts chapter seven. I'm going to read this uh beginning in verse 35. Stephan is given an account of Israel's history from his perspective as it relates to Jesus, and I'm jumping into the into the middle of this uh just to kind of address the point of the beginning of the church. Verse 35, this Moses, this Moses whom they disowned because there were more than one Moses in history. So he's trying to narrow down when he says Moses to a specific person. This Moses whom they disowned saying, who made you a ruler and a judge is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of an angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. We all know which Moses that is, right? Now we have a frame of reference. We we know the time period and the events that were taking place. Verse 37, this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. And now our passage. Verse 38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received a living oracles to pass on to you. This is the one who was in the congregation. The word here is ecclesia. Keep that in mind. It's the very word that we translate, congregation, assembly, or church. Okay, this this is really fascinating and, and somewhat shocking when you think about it, because what this passage is referring to is a church that started at Sinai. In fact, this church is identified as Israel, so that Israel is the congregation of the Lord. In Moses' day, that the beginning of the ecclesia, the start of the church, this assembly of people who believe in God begins at Sinai. Actually, it begins in Egypt, and they're led out and they arrive at Sinai and become the people of God. Now, let's define ecclesia. The Greek word ecclesia in this passage and in other places, some hundred plus places in the Apostolic scriptures, simply means a gathering, a gathering or an assembly of people for a common purpose, a gathering or assembly, church, a gathering or assembly. We think of a building. It it got related to the concept of a building, right? But but in the Greek and in the use of of this among the apostles, it's in reference to the people who were gathered. The assembly of people, that's the church. That's the congregation of the Lord. That's the assembly of the Lord. Out of 63 English translations that I looked at this morning, 63, here are the top three picks for how the Greek word ecclesia is translated into English. Number one, congregation. Most translations use the word congregation to translate ecclesia. Assembly, 23 times. It's the close second, right? And then church, eight times. I'm fascinated that the translators chose this word church. In fact, some of your translations will say, this Moses, oh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 38, this is the one who was, was in the church in the wilderness. See what that translation does? When you read that, you say, Church in the wilderness? Wait! That's like 1,500 years earlier than Acts chapter 2. You mean there was a church before this church in Acts chapter 2? Is it two different churches? Or could it be it's the same church? That's a game changer. That begins to dismantle what we call replacement theology. The idea that somehow the Gentiles who believe in Jesus have replaced Israel that the church has replaced the nation of Israel as the people of God. Yeah, because if Israel is the people of God, the church, then what this looks like is that Jesus may be restoring her to her proper place and then inviting the Gentiles to be grafted in and participate with her as the congregation of the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. That's a lot right there. I should take another offering. Okay, so let's go on. The term ecclesia is found in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the um, Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures by Jews and for Jews around that first century era, give or take 200 years on both sides. Does that make sense? It's an ancient translation by Jews for Jews, taking the Hebrew into Greek because the Jewish Jewish, uh, population, people group, in Alexandria spoke Greek. So they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek for their uh, benefit. Guess what term they use to translate the Hebrew word for congregation. The Hebrew word is kahal. It means a gathering, the gathering of the Lord or the congregation of the Lord. Guess what Greek term the Septuagint uses in translating kahal into Greek. You guessed it. Ekklesia. That's noteworthy when you think about it. It's noteworthy. It describes Israel as the congregation of the Lord. Kahal in Hebrew, Ekklesia in Greek. And this gives us our connection when we move into the Apostolic Scriptures and why the authors and the people used this word Ekklesia when talking about Israel as being the congregation of the Lord. Now, the etymology, which is never a good uh, tool to use in defining words. I mean, it's kind of fun, but but I, I, I thought it's noteworthy here, so I just want to throw it out there. Um, the etymology. So the Latin word ekklesia, from the Greek ekklesia, where the word is a compound of two segments. Ek, a preposition meaning out of, and a verb, kaleo. Signifying to call. Together, you put those two words together, literally, it means to call out. Now that usage soon disappeared and was replaced by assembly, congregation, council, or convocation. That's from Wikipedia. Okay. I think it's noteworthy in this sense. It does give us somewhat of a connecting point with Israel. Who was in Egypt. And then call, God called her out. God spoke and with his voice through his prophet Moses called Israel out of Egypt. And she came out of Egypt and went to Sinai and became the people of God. Am segula, my treasured people. So she is the called out ones called out of Egypt to become the people of God and to come into his realm. So that word ecclesia in its etymology is fascinating because it fits well what exactly happened to Israel, right? Hosea, again, listen to Hosea. Hosea 11 verse one. "When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son." So I think that's fascinating. Now the New Testament translators translated Ecclesia into English as congregation, assembly or church. So, I want to just summarize that by saying, contextually, looking at Acts chapter 7, Israel is the kahal, or the ecclesia of the Lord, or in English, the congregation, the assembly, the church of the Lord. And she was birthed 1,500 er, years earlier, before Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is not the birth of the church, it's the rebuilding of the church that fell into apostasy. And this is the point, of course, of contention in ecclesiology. I think it's important to sort these things out in terms of who we are, how we identify ourselves, and what that means in terms of our mission and vision. So let's talk about bad news and good news. Bad news, Israel as the congregation of the Lord or the church of the Lord was unfaithful. And fell into apostasy and ruin. Good news. God sent his son to save her and raise her up. Jesus says salvation is of the Jews. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost house of Israel. He told his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. Bypass them. I came only to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. Now, that can be rough on the ears of a Gentile, right? But if we understand the plan of redemption, that God would work through his people first and then through his people to the nations, everything is okay by the end, right? Because what it says this, and Paul, I think, says it better than anyone else. Paul says the gospel of Jesus, the offer of salvation is to the Jew first and also to the Greeks, also to the Gentiles. So it's okay. The Gentiles get invited too. and We all become the people of God through adoption. Israel is adopted first, and then later the Gentiles. That's how it works. So everything's okay in the end. We're all going to settle down and, and uh, not have division, because in the end we're equally loved and brought into the family of God, but it's based in his timing and in his ways. Now, Jesus identifies the church of the Lord as belonging to him. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Some, and Peter answered, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, you can put that slide up. Slide 27. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This is the word again, Ecclesia. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus, who came to seek and to save Israel, Him who was to bring salvation to His people, what people? The people of God, the Ecclesia of God, the congregation of God, the Kahal, the congregation of the Lord, which fell away in apostasy, He says, "I've come to build her up." I've come to rebuild the very ones who fell away, to restore to them what God had promised all along through a new covenant. This is his church. Israel belongs to him. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, first of Israel and then of all the nations. So once Israel, the Ecclesia or church of Jesus, is saved and gathered and restored as the church, Then the Gentiles are invited to come in and join her as the redeemed Israel of God. This is very complicated. I got like 30 minutes. I don't even got that. I mean, I got minutes left, but a total of about 30 minutes. There's no way I can sort all this out. I'm sure it's very confusing, but I got four more weeks or whatever. We'll hang in there and try to make sense out of all this. It's a lot of information in 30 minutes. But it's important for us to understand. It's to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. The first to be gathered are Jewish people. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, the day of Pentecost. Who's gathered? It says all the nations are gathered. A closer read, it's all the Jews in the various nations, not the Gentiles, it's the Jews in all the various nations that come, why? It's a pilgrimage festival. Acts 2 is a Jewish phenomenon, a Jewish festival where Jewish people are attending. Day by day, verse 46 of Acts chapter 2, Continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they, Jewish believers, were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now later we see, you know, the apostles going to the Gentiles. Peter goes first to Cornelius and a group of Gentiles who wanted to hear this message of salvation. And the Gentiles respond, and it just blows away Peter. He can't even believe this response, which is enormous. And this whole opening where so many Gentiles start to pour into this messianic revival among the Jewish people. So the Gentiles are coming in, and they're being gathered and added to the Jewish believers who are already reconstituted as the remnant of Israel. Acts chapter 15, 19 through 20. Speaking of Jews and Gentiles who are being gathered. Therefore, it is my gen- judgment. This is Acts 15. What do we do with all these Gentiles? Acts 15 is about a bunch of Jewish leaders, apostles and elders trying to figure out what do we can do with the Gentiles, right? Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Now, these believing Jews and these believing Gentiles, guess where they're meeting? They're meeting primarily in the temple, in their homes, and in the synagogues. Acts chapter 15, verse 21. This letter that they comprise, or they write together, uh, the Sanhedrin, this Messianic Sanhedrin, they're going to send to all these churches that Paul has already established. Concerning the Gentiles, this letter going to them, uh, they said, from Moses, the, these four things that are required of the Gentiles seem pretty minimal. And so the concern of the Messianic Jews is simply, what what about all the rest of the stuff? There's a lot of other important things in the Torah that the Gentiles need to conform to. And, and basically, basically, in essence, what the council is saying is, don't worry about it. They'll grow into that leave them alone they'll grow into that we're gonna have some basic minimum requirements but other than that leave the gentiles alone or at least encourage them and show them the way they'll grow into these things so acts 15 21 for moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every sabbath that tells us that the Gentiles will be okay because they're going to hear the rest of the story and they're going to grow in their faith. Why? Because Moses is priest when? Every Sabbath. Where? In the synagogues. So where were the Gentiles meeting? These Gentile believers, they were meeting in the synagogues alongside of believing Jews and in homes and, of course, the temple. And that was creating quite a stir, by the way, because non-believing Jews or Jews that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they were certainly at odds with believing Jews and especially believing Gentiles. But note, note this well in the first century, in the apostolic era, the Shabbat was the official weekly worship day when they, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, all met in homes or in the temple or in the synagogue to worship fellowship and receive revelation and illumination from the scriptures. And due to a growing persecution against the followers of Jesus by Jewish authorities, believers ultimately were driven out of the synagogues, even believing Jews driven out of the synagogues and had to find their own spaces, both in the temple and in their homes. So here's that later development and formation of the restored church as they began to establish themselves in their own communities. But Jews came from Antioch. This is Acts 14, the story of Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel. Paul gets stoned. They drag him out. They think he's dead. He's not dead. He recovers. And him and Barnabas continue on their journey and continue to preach uh, from city to city the gospel of the kingdom. And many, many Gentiles are coming in. So all of a sudden you have the formation of a lot of groups. And most of the groups are meeting in homes. They're called home groups, home churches, home congregations. Because wherever the people of God are gathered at the appointed time, that's what? That's church. It's not a building, it's a people group. So there's all these home churches that are emerging everywhere. They're beginning to come together and form. So Paul and Barnabas. It goes on to say, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, when they, Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Paul and Barnabas, they're going around, and these churches that are forming, these house groups, these home groups, they're going in and they're appointing elders. What's what's an elder? They're older, wiser, more mature believers who have the authority to come in and organize a house church so it can continue to grow and flourish, so it can be protected against false teachers and heretical ideas. So these elders come in to help these home groups kind of form into an established congregation Where the Lord can be seen and his people can fellowship and they can grow together and have a measure of safety in that environment. That's what elders do. And Paul and Barnabas are establishing home groups as authentic, legitimate churches representing the Lord and his people. I'm not sure where to go with this because I'm basically out of time, but let me try to put a bow on it. I believe that believers should be part of legitimate elder-led congregations. I'm okay with house churches, if they're startups, as long as there's an appointed pastor of that house that answers to an established elder in the city so that there's accountability So that the the leader of the group doesn't become abusive. The idea is to safeguard young believers and groups that are coming together. They need elder oversight. It's part of the protection and safeguard of God for his people. And among this movement of house churches, I cannot tell you how many of them do not want to be answerable to anyone. There's no accountability. There's no elder. It just kind of floats around in oblivion and different people teach from time to time. And I'm telling you, it's a risky place to be. It's not a safe place. Beware of those who refuse to be part of an elder-led faith community. Well, I'm not going to be part of that. That's that's a man's thing. That's, you know, they got problems. Yeah, of course, there's no perfect church. And if there is one, don't go. It won't be perfect because you showed up. There are no perfect churches. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. There are no perfect churches. Those that, those that tend to, to judge the church view themselves as being right. You're not right. You got your own problems. A lot of times, though, a rebel who doesn't want to be answerable to anyone dives into those environments because that's where they can get some traction. So beware, beware. These kind of people usually end up in spiritual rebellion, heresy, ultimately disaster. Protect yourselves and your loved ones by distancing yourself from these kind of people. If you do not, at least take responsibility for any risks and fallouts that may come your way. It's okay. No perfect churches, but a much greater amount of protection. In churches that have elders that are accountable to others to watch over you and me. Titus 1.5, for this reason I left you in Crete. This is Paul talking to Titus. For this reason, T- Titus, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Again, elders bring order. Chaos is the work of the enemy. Order is the work of God. Undermining. Order always leads to chaos and anarchy. It's rebellion. Elders safeguard a community from rebels, chaos, and anarchy. So with the appointment of elders and overseers, churches become established and manifested locally for all who believe in Jesus. It's an opportunity to participate in the restored Israel of God. Am say Gulah my treasured people, the congregation of the Lord, the church of the Lord. In application, I want to encourage you. If you're not a member of an elder-led church, please consider us. We'd love to have you as a member. We're mutually accountable to one another. Please take a look at us. If we're not a good fit, that's okay. I'm a big boy, got my big boy pants on. I won't take it personal, but let me help you find a church where you can become a member, an elder-led, accountable church. I'll help you do that. But if you're saying, no, I don't want to be a part of any church. I don't like to be under accountability. I I just like to be a a free bird. If You're a Leonard, Leonard Skinner fan, right? Free bird. If You want to be a free bird? I'm just saying, look, that doesn't work here. Over a period of time, if you're saying, no, I'm not going to be plugged in here or anywhere else. I just want to float around. We're going to have to ask you to leave. I don't want to do that. But I do want to say this. There's a lot of good churches. Find one. Plug in. Become a member. Go to work. Together we'll advance the kingdom of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. Shabbat shalom.